I'm Joyce Hornady. You might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets. You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hornady Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Swerzik. Now, before we start the show, a little bit of housekeeping. One, I hope everyone out there had an awesome Christmas is an exci- and is excited Excuse me, about the new year, 2024, coming right up. Now, a couple things. One, we have had a ton of emails, requests, people sending carrier pigeons and stuff, smoke signals about barrel cleaning part two. And yes, it's coming. We apologize. We had anticipated getting it recorded right away after the first one. And unfortunately, there's just people have jobs. You know, the podcast is cool to do and it's fun to do. Uh, but uh, to get Jaden out of the lab and all of the stuff he has going on right now, we just couldn't carve out the time to do it. So uh, with that, uh, we'll catch you after the next year. Now on this show, Matt Ritchie, fellow marketeer on the show, familiar face and familiar voice. Thanks for joining me on the show. Yep. Glad to be back again. That's two episodes in a row. That's, yeah. a, that's a new record. Let so. <laughs> the record show. Now, unfamiliar face, unfamiliar voice to the show. We have technical services, Mitch Rother. Mitch, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. And it's an, an exciting topic uh, for you. There's a reason we brought you on the show. Now, before we jump into the topic, which is of all of the children from the 30-06 parent case, touch blue, make it true. This is the best one, 25-06. Um, but before we get there, every time we have a new voice and a new face on the show, people need to know, Mitch, what was young Mitch Rother doing growing up? Where did you grow up? What were you into? What got you into the outdoors? And then what led you on a professional career path to end up across from me on the Hornady podcast? So grew up doing a lot of pheasant hunting. We actually used to have pheasants back then, mm-hmm. um, which really wasn't that long ago. Central Nebraska. Yeah, Central Nebraska. Grew up here in Grand Island. Families from Wallback, which is right down the road from where you grew up. Yep. Um, so at age three or four, dad started trucking me along with, and I was walking fields behind him. And then about age nine, he started letting me shoot. And every weekend I went up, whether I was three or 12, we were shooting a 17 HMR out of the back of the truck at Cairns or... He was throwing a water bottle up in the air and let me shoot it with a shotgun or something like that. But yeah, got into deer hunting about age nine, um, following him around up in the sand hills of Bainsworth. He was toting actually the same rifle that I have there, just a little bit older. Mm. So that's kind of my background in it and do a lot of predator hunting and got out of college, saw that Hornady was hiring and I like shooting, I like hunting and I had a business degree, so applied and got lucky enough that they must have been desperate and hired me. So. Yeah, yeah, desperate to say the least. Well, that's your story sounds a lot like everybody else's story here. Not to say that your story is not individual or special because it is, but there's so much of what you just said in why I'm sitting here and why Matt's sitting there yeah. and why Preston's behind the camera over here and why Judd, our other camera guy, you know, there's just seems like everybody here has a very similar story. I was passionate about it growing up and yeah, you, you know, you played sports and did all the things that, you know, kids do growing up. But the one thing you can come back to is hunting and shooting and the camaraderie and the fellowship and sharing it with your family and your friends. It just, it anchors us. And it's really what we do for a passion. And it just happens to be what we also do for work. And that's just, it's pretty cool. And I knew that story going in, but I just, I like to ask that because our listener, you know, I'm sure you guys have experienced it you're at a trade show or you're in an airport or something and somebody, Oh, you're from Hornady. 
And then they have this illusion that Hornady's this giant corporation and there's this big board of directors and they say what products we're going to make. And we have this monstrous marketing machine to push all these products that nobody thinks they need and whatever. <laughs> and in reality, we're just a small company. We're out here in the boonies and we're all passionate about what we're doing. And that's, that's just cool. And I, I want that to be transparent for our listener because uh, we're making products that we want to use. And consequently, they're usually products that everybody else wants to use too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it just adds that personal connection with with us to our customers or to just the general public, you know, because yep. we, we we don't just work for a company that makes this stuff. We use the stuff and we're passionate about it. And yep. yeah, it's great. So, it, it is awesome. Now, this is uh, loosely related, uh, but somewhat tangential. Uh, Mitch, you started off in technical services, which everybody in this room started in technical services and technical services at Hornady, that could be a career for the duration of your working life, or it can be a springboard into other things like, you know, the three of us into marketing. Uh, tell us about technical services, what you guys do and what kind of value you add to our consumer base. Yeah. So as all of you guys know, you, you guys quit on us, um, moved to marketing on us. Matt and Preston were actually still up in the department when I started. Um, but on a daily basis, our job is sit there and help consumers figure out what they need, why it's doing what it's doing, and how to use our products. Um, so I could talk to people on the phone about anything from which bullet's going to be the best for this moose hunt to, hey, I'm trying to program this lockbox. Mm -hmm. um, so really a wide range. If you have any of our products and you have questions on it, feel free to call in and talk to us. Yeah, it's 800-338-3220, extension 3. We'll bounce you up to tech. And you and everybody else up there, and the reason that I bring this up is technical services is such a, you'd mentioned the scope of what you guys cover and are legit product experts on. Um, it is literally everything that Hornady makes plus everything it's related to. So again, bullet selection, cartridge selection, reloading techniques, tips, et cetera, it goes on and on. Uh, you guys really go through a long uh, evolution of training before you get actually working with consumers and so you go through the bullet plant, the case plant, the ammo plant, security products, reloading. I mean, you guys just get it all. And then of the group of you guys up on up on the phone, all of you hunt, all of you shoot, all of you reload. Most of you shoot competitively. Uh, I mean, it's just a, a wealth of information that I wanted to highlight uh, before we start this show on the 25-06 because uh, as many calls and emails as we get a day, I know there's that many more customers out there that don't understand that. If you've got a Hornady product and you've got a question, concern, problem, whatever it is, or you just need a recommendation, I want to shoot this bullet. Here's my goal. What what twist rate or you know whatever, and that's something that you guys can help with, and that's a pretty awesome service. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty extensive training process, so it there's a lot to learn that I thought I knew, and then I started, and it's like I didn't know anything. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Well, yeah. uh, and again helping just people see behind the curtain that we are passionate about what we're doing and you're not just getting a talking head you're getting a guy that knows what he's doing so yep. with that uh mitch appreciate you coming on the show i'm sure we'll have you on here again ladies and gentlemen if you want more mitch on the show you got to drop a comment like share all those things and now drum roll please we'll get into the 25-06 and uh, i'd mentioned previous that of the 30-06 children this one is my favorite, and it's arguable, uh, but it's you know, maybe even 
well, controversial, I guess is a word, but I'm going to say it, it's the best of all the children. I really like this one um, because of its versatility, its low recoil, all the stuff that we're going to talk about. But before we get there, let's set the stage a little bit. So, uh, you know, you have to go back a few episodes, but we talked about the 30-06. We had Matt George on here. We talked about the 30-06 with uh, Miles Neville, and that was, as the name would imply, 1906. Prior to that, 1903, you had something very, very similar. Uh, but then you have the 1906, or excuse me, 1906-30-06 cartridge that becomes the military standard in the U.S. Do so you want to talk about an explosion of people jacking around after 1906? You get this cartridge. It's adopted by the government. So you've got brass. You've got cartridge support from every major manufacturer out there that's making ammo at the time. So let's start playing around. And obviously... People like to play around. Wildcatters are going to wildcat. Wildcatters do it. Wildcatters do, and they they start necking her up, necking her down, changing shoulder angles, body, you know, case lengths, all that stuff. So, yep. And this one didn't get a whole lot of case length, shoulder angle treatment. It got straight necked down yep. and run it. And that would have been uh, not long after the thirty out six was released that people were playing with that. Yeah, was it Charles Newton? I think was the first one that necked her down in nineteen twelve to the to run that 117 grain bullet at a 25 cal. Yeah. So, so and, and I guess to preset the stage, I already said set the stage. So to preset the stage, uh, you have uh, the 1895 release of the 2535. Um, you know, Winchester released that cartridge for its model 1894 Winchester lever action. So you have 60 grain all the way up to 117 grain bullets in 25 cal before the turn of the century. So, um, you know, Fast forward 20 years, and like you mentioned, you've got Charles Newton, a prolific wildcatter um, that played with all sorts of cartridges. And he, 256 Newton is another uh, one that was a, way ahead of its time. If you want to see something that is eerily similar to the Creedmoor, um, but he necks it down to 25, and you have that 117 grain round nose that was originally made for the 2535. It's a perfect fit. Yep. Get her up around that 3,000 feet per second or close to it. You know, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 25 cal was kind of a wildcatter's dream back in those days because there was so much you could do with it. And you could run anything from a Varmer bullet down in 60 grains, like you said, up to mm-hmm. 117, taking, you know, it's a little small in my opinion for moose, but there was guys who do, using it for that. Yeah. Um, so kind of all over the place. And with that span of bullet weights, you got 60 all the way up to 117. Now, Charles Newton, like I'd mentioned, prolific wildcatter and... Obviously, the the twenty five neck down version of the thirty out six, but he had cartridges like the two fifty three thousand, which is probably uh, one of the more popular ones, and that was released and adopted in nineteen fifteen uh, for the Savage ninety nine, and that was the iconic eighty seven grain bullet doing three thousand feet per second. So that one's cool. He also credited with the twenty two high power, also for Savage. That one didn't. Uh, I don't want to say stand the test of time because there's still people that have them and shoot them and load for them and think they're cool and they are cool. But, um, so yeah, Charles Newton just absolutely getting with it. And you got the 253,000 there pushing those same bullets, but significantly slower. Where I was thinking about that on the drive in this morning, where would we be if it was as a, as a, like as a whole industry, if it wasn't for wildcatters, you know, oh my gosh. they kind of pushed that, that needle and kind of, I don't know if you'd say they forced the hand of the gun and ammo manufacturers, but they... They forced the hand of the they, gun and ammo definitely manufacturers. Definitely played a role in it because you know, they're doing 
you know, we'd all be shooting 30 out sixes, which there's nothing yeah. wrong with that, but we wouldn't have, if there wasn't for wildcatters, we wouldn't have some of these, a lot of these cartridges. Yeah. So. Yeah. So tip of the hat to all those guys, uh, Newton, and we'll talk about a couple others here. The 22 advanced rifle cartridge easily outperforms all other 22 caliber cartridges in its class producing 22 250 performance in an ar-15 platform the 22 arc is engineered to take full advantage of the most aerodynamic 22 caliber bullets this means tighter groups increased accuracy and an exceptional shooting experience 22 advanced rifle cartridge from hornady uh, and yeah, with the .30-06 being a government cartridge, the military cartridge, you've got places like Frankfurt Arsenal, who, you know, the notable writer, Colonel Townsend Whalen, worked at Frankfurt Arsenal as the, the head cheese there for a while, and they they worked with anything they could do on the .30-06. Yeah. So you had it necked down to 28, or, you know, you had it necked down to 27, to 6.5, to 25. I mean, they had, like the 25 Whalen is a thing, and that would have been done. Uh, in the early 20s or late teens when Colonel Whalen was uh, in charge of Frankfurt Arsenal. So that's just a, a neat piece of uh, history there. Yeah. And then as we progress uh, through time, um, you know, we'll get into the 20s, into the 30s, and we we talked about Charles Newton, um, and now you've got Townsend Whalen and uh, I think his name was Alfred, I forget, uh, Mr. Neidner, mm-hmm. uh, another wildcatter, and then you had... Uh, Ned Roberts, all awesome wildcatters. Uh, I'm going to call them ballisticians of their era. A lot of them were outdoor writers. A lot of them, uh, you know, huge contributors to magazines like Outdoor Life. And, you know, we talked about it in the 270 podcast where people might go to our podcast for information. They might go to Google. They might go to YouTube for information. Well, in 1930, you read Outdoor Life, yeah, right? Or absolutely. Field and Stream or some of those other bigger publications. And so, You've got the the Niters, you've got the Roberts, you've got the uh, the Newtons, you know, pushing information out there and working together, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, you know, the uh, Mr. Neidner, A.O. Neidner, uh, Nider, excuse me, he had several Wildcats also in the 25 Cal variant. And we have Ned Roberts, remove the hat, the 257 Roberts. Uh, based off the 7 by 57 Mauser case, um, you know, if you look at the progression to 25, the 253,000, which is hot, nasty speed with an 87 grain bullet. And then you've got that, you know, I'm going to call it to 25 Newton, if you will, um, which would have been kind of that straight neck down from the 30-06. Worlds apart in regards to case capacity, the 253,000 is just a little bit smaller, quite a bit smaller cartridge case and therefore that 87 grain bullet at 3000 was super cool but you really chewed up that capacity when you went 100 grain bullets 110 grains bullet 117 grain round nose bullets so the 257 roberts comes along in 1934 um off a 7 by 57 mauser a little bit steeper shoulder a little bit more elegant design uh kind of an excessively long neck in my opinion but uh now you've got a step up and it's standardized in 1934. And I find that interesting because at this point, the 25-06, as we know it, um, has existed since around 1912, 1915 time frame, but it's not standardized. You know, there's a good, there are very few rifles chambered in this. Well, then 1934, 
you get the 257 Roberts taking advantage of those 25 caliber bullets, again, from 60 all the way up to 117 grain bullets. And people were building rifles. I mean, gun companies building rifles. And I think that's important because at this point, you don't have a, you have the standardized 2535. You have the 253,000. You needed the bigger brother, something a little bit more effective on bigger game. Bigger game. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Medium sized game, you know, the deer and antelope and, you know, those kind of sized animals. So there's where, you know, and we still have, we still make the 117 grain bullets now. So it's, it's definitely one of the mainstays for that cartridge. You know, we go what from 90 to 117 grain Mm -hmm. for offerings. So yeah. Yep. So that 257 Roberts ushered in what I'm going to call the mass level acceptance of 25 caliber for the versatile hunter. I want to shoot antelope. I want to shoot deer. I want to shoot coyotes. I want to shoot prairie dogs. I want to shoot rock chucks. I want to shoot everything. And I want to do it with one, but I want to do it with minimal recoil. And, you know, from 1934 up until the six millimeter craze in the 50s, you really had an, an established 25 cal following, which I have to believe if I was alive pre World War II, I would have been one of them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just crazy how these guys did all this stuff, you know, when they were wildcatting. No pressure barrels, no idea, hey, maybe this powder will work good in it. Um, and they really did open the door for like the 25-06, which came along, you know, 30 years after the standardization of the 257. Yeah. And like Matt said, where would we be without it? it would, it's crazy. And it's really remarkable how now that we have piezoelectric pressure reading <laughs> equipment, uh, we're not reading cup pressure or we're not swagging it, how close they really were with their velocities. Because, you know, that 117 grain bullet, they're doing... 3,000 to 3,100, and that's the standard today. But Mitch, you brought up a good point. Brought up powder. And I have to feel like powder really helped the 25-06, and a lot of other cartridges for that matter, really thrive. Because one of the things that, if you're not a reloader, you might not understand, is if you have a 30-06 case, and it takes a certain burn speed of powder. Well, if you leave the case the same, but you make the bore smaller in diameter, you want to go with a slower burning propellant. Well, there wasn't a ton of propellants available. You had, you know, some of those staples, 4895, 4064, 3031. But in that slower burn rate, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, those different steps. I mean, there were some, but they were big steps in burn rate. So if you go from 30-06 to 280 to 277, down to 25, you need progressively slower propellants. And right around that World War II timeframe, certainly post-World War II, when we had surpluses of this stuff, you had IMR propellant, the improved military rifle powders from old DuPont. Uh, and what a game changer that was for not just the 25-06, but all of these cartridges where you're starting to necking things down and you need those slower burning propellants. Because Mitch, you've probably loaded a lot of 25-06 uh, in your lifetime, and I would bet IMR4350 or H4831 are just quite simply, if uh, I can't find anything else, I don't, I don't want to play around with load development, just pick one of those two and go with it. Yeah, absolutely. That thing almost exclusively runs 4831 just simply because it's an easy button for it. Mm-hmm. 117, 117 grain interlock with some 4831, and it's just right there every yeah. time. Which is, yeah, makes it easy. And then, you know, in that post-World War II, you know, we really have to tip our hat to Hodgden uh, buying 
gunpowder literally by the rail car full uh, and getting it out to the masses. And in those the 19, I don't know when their first manual published, but I want to say it was in 1950, um, where you have reloading data for 4350 and 4831 uh, for a slew of these cartridges. And I'll tell you what, yeah, those propellants have stood the test of time. They simply work. And 4831 was actually used in a big uh, 20 millimeter round. So that took a lot of propellant. 25 out 6 doesn't take very much. So a rail car full of powder. uh, Yeah, you could could definitely uh, get some things done. So now you've got the right up to the 50s. And then, and we're kind of starting on the six millimeter craze. You know, you've got 243 Winchester, most notably. Um, you know, you had the 308 Winchester in 1952, 762 by 51 coming out just a couple years later as a military cartridge. The 243, I mean, we're splitting hairs. We, you know, we always are splitting hairs when you're talking bullet diameter, but you have 243s, just a little bit smaller bullet going lightning fast. And again, super versatile. You have, you know, from antelope and deer down to prairie dogs and nothing too much. So you had some competition there between the six millimeter craze and the 257 Roberts, which as we know now, 257 Roberts was just a little anemic. Um, and that pressure spec bumped from what was originally established at 54,000 pounds up to 58,000 pounds. The Hornady Click Adjust Bullet Seating Micrometer. Precisely set bullet seating depth with click adjust in one thousandths of an inch increments and easy to read graduations. It's a quick and easy way to achieve bench rest accuracy and consistency with tactile clicks just like a click adjust scope turret. Easily installed on Hornady custom or match grade seating dies. Take your reloading game to the next level with the Hornady click adjust bullet seating micrometer. Well, to combat the six millimeter craze and, and push things back uh, in the favor of the quarter bore, you have uh, Remington and they've got a new rifle coming, the Remington 700. Um, and then we're going to fast forward a little bit. Uh, actually, we're going to fast forward 49 years, nearly half a century since Newton first necked down and made what we would call the 25 Newton. You have 1969. And there you go. Remington introduces the 25-06 Remington as an official Sammy-adopted cartridge. Uh, they put it right into that Remington 700 line and hit the go button. And it took a, I hope it took, I can't say this for a fact, but I hope it took an immediate and dramatic climb vertical in popularity. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak to what was going on back then. Obviously, I wasn't alive yet. Um, but it seems like growing up, everybody in this part of the country either had a 25-06 or had had one at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it obviously caught some popularity in states like Nebraska just simply because out to 500, you're so flat. Yeah. Um, you pull into a pasture, you know, during deer season and you're going to go walk a draw and you see a coyote take off running, you just throw it out the truck and start popping at him. Yep. And that's, yeah, it's lived a lot of life right. in that vein. And in 1969, when all of this stuff became san- standardized, Matt, they really didn't change much from the 30-06 shoulder angle, overall length. Yeah, and then, I mean, the, the other thing they, they did that I liked over what Neidner did or Neidner did was they put a 10 twist in it. You know, they went oh, yeah. with a, from a 12 to a 10, so yeah, help stabilize those heavier bullets. So That's yeah. a good point. We forgot that. Neidner was running one in 12s. Yep. And, you know, 117 round nose, probably fine. 60 yep. grain, little, you know, little varmint bullets, obviously fine. Throw a boat tail on it, and then you're... 
Now yep. you need a now you need a faster twist. So yep. and there's been a lot of design in the sixties and fifties with spire shaped bullets. Yep. You know, you've got the secant ogive becoming pretty standardized. People are putting boat tails on bullets like Hornady Manufacturing. And yeah, you need that 10 twist, but they kept the 17 degree, 30 minute shoulder, just like the 30-06. Um, they kept the same overall length so that Remington 700 could run 30-06, 270, 25-06, all the things on that quote unquote standard long standard, action. Yep, standard action. Yep. And since 1969, it's been a standard offering. And I'm going to say, doing no research in this topic, I would bet it's a standard offering in pretty much every major manufacturer that builds guns still today. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them still getting made. Um, a lot of guys calling in asking, well, what are you guys going to do this? When are you guys going to do that? Well, you don't really need to change it much. Yeah. Um, they kind of hit the nail right on the head for what it does. And, I mean, you can get 3,600 feet per second out of it running a light bullet. Yeah, if, 75 if you want V-Max to. or yeah. something. Um, but. It's just good all the way around, no matter what you do to it. And mm -hmm. so there's really not much need to change it unless you wanted to start running like 134 grains, like the ELDM we came out with. Yeah. Or yeah, if you wanted to use it for some really long range kind of target shooting. Yeah. Um, but man, it, since 1969, I'm trying to think, you know, uh, Legacy Sports International, Howa, Remington, Savage, uh, Ruger, you got, I mean, yeah. these staple companies that built firearms still chambering for this cartridge. And that only proves that Mr. Neidner and Newton and Roberts knew what they were doing, and they put yep. a you know 25 caliber hole in my heart that <laughs> will never be filled. I always have to have a 25 cal yeah. in the stable. Well, and we kind of touched on it for the 270 Winchester, and I would think you could say it for the 30 out six. We don't like we've all we all have a technical support background. That's mm -hmm. I don't remember taking a lot of calls on a 25 out six. You know, it was always hey, what powder do you recommend? What for this bullet? Or I'm going on a you know. A Western whitetail or Western mule deer yeah. hunt. You know, what, is it good what, enough for black bear yeah. or something? Oh, yeah, along yeah. Those it's, lines. it's just what do, what do I need to do? You know, for this, not hey, I've got this problem. So I mean, from from the standard, you know, offering in the in the guns to the cartridges, it's just another one of those great ones that again has stood the test of time. So, yep. yep. And it, and like you'd mentioned, uh, I I kind of facetiously said this about the two seventy, but the iconic prairie sniper uh, but the 25 out six is right up in there yeah like you mentioned you know you, you're checking cows or you're going hunting or whatever and oh there's a coyote or you know whatever or you're antelope hunting and you, you know you have to take a longer shot this thing is just wicked fast again with the proper twist rate those spire shaped bullets now in 25 caliber you've got a ton of offerings so for the for the i was going to say western hunter but gosh for hunting anywhere because, you know, you put the right bullet in this thing and you've got an effective black bear cartridge. You've got bigger game like, uh, I don't want to say elk, but if you were cow elk hunting with the proper bullet, um, big, big uh, mule deer out west, something like that. This thing just simply works. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we have a wide variety offering that I like to run in my 25-06. I got some 110 interbonds stashed yeah. away in my desk that I'm saving in case I ever want to take it on, you know, a larger game animal hunt. Um, 110 ELDXs work great on antelope deer, everything yeah. like that. And it's kind of hard to pull me away from the old spire point. There's nothing wrong. That 117 spire point killed my first deer, my first coyote, my first prairie dog, just the ton nostalgia. of first. Yeah. It's a good bullet and it's fast and it's flat and they hit like a hammer. And as far as Hornady offerings go, looking at our factory ammo, you know, we've got four factory offerings, um, two of which are that 117 grain bullet. One of them, the spire point, one of them, an SST. 
in that super performance line, and that super performance load with the 117 doing over 3,100. Um, but the one that really stands out for me, obviously, you mentioned the Precision Hunter 110 ELDX. Uh, but what really transformed the 25 out six from you know antelope and you know shooting coyotes on the prairie kind of thing into you know a seriously capable black bear, 300 pound mule deer, cow elk kind of thing is our 90 grain CX load. Um, you know, we've got a super performance load doing over 3,300 with a 90 grain monolithic bullet. And most people would say that monolithic sounds a little light for caliber, but for shooting those bigger game, that's, I think would be the go-to. Yeah. Um, I haven't personally shot anything with them yet. Cause I, I really haven't been shooting this gun nearly as much as I used to just simply because we have so many new cartridges that I like to play with. Um, but that 90 grain CX, it, it hits like a hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody I've talked to that shot it has had no complaints getting pastures on cow elk, like you said, um, taking it on, you know, big mule deer hunts, stuff like that. And they absolutely love that, that round. Yeah. It, yeah. Speed kills and monolithic bullets going fast. They kill really well. Mm-hmm. One, um, point that we forgot to bring up, Matt, you mentioned the one in 10 twist becoming standard. Um, one thing that I think really helps the 25-06 or helped it initially was, you know, with the 257 Roberts, they came out of the gate, 54,000 pounds, needed a little extra squeeze to get the juice. Yeah. Um, the 25-06, when they standardized that in 1969, 63,000-pound max average pressure. So you're able to to run this thing up there where it needs to run. You know, most cartridges need to, they don't need to, but a lot of these bolt-action cartridges thrive at 60,000 pounds. And uh, you can get tons of performance and really no trade-off because the brass is going to last a long time you're not going to run into problems with um you know brass failing on you or running things at really high pressure um 60,000 is like a sweet spot so with the 63,000 maximum average pressure you can run this thing right up where it needs to be and get all the ballistic performance for anything from gosh like i said i've shot prairie dogs with it up to yeah cow elk and, and black bear and this thing is a is a is a true versatile cartridge just like so many of them you know sounds like we're just yeah. pushing the buzzword button but my gosh it is just versatile well then and then then the the lighter 25 cal bullets get that that felt recoil down there you know we all, we all know felt recoil is a function of the bullet weight and the weight of the rifle and the velocity and but, charge weight yeah yep, but you get you get down into those lighter bullets and smaller diameters you know they're less recoil so again it's more friendly to getting your kids started or getting, you know, your wife who's recoil shy, you know, mm-hmm. started on deer hunting or yeah. prairie dogs or whatever. So, or yeah. just for setting up a rifle, just like we have here, Mitch, I mean, you've got a, an iconic rifle of the prairie. You know, when I, when I say the prairie, I mean the Dakotas, Nebraska, uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, Eastern Colorado, Eastern Wyoming, just that Eastern Montana for that matter, that those great plains, rolling hills, prairie area. That's just an iconic rifle you're going to see in every rancher's truck. 22-inch barrel, uh, kind of a sporter-style stock. With the scope, that thing probably weighs 7 pounds, so it's really lightweight. Well, you don't want a bunch of recoil on something like that. So it's fast, it's flat, it's easy to carry, it's easy to handle, and it's not beating you up on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. And like you mentioned earlier, that 117-grain spire point, I mean, that's the rifle I killed my first deer with. Um, mule deer up in the Sandhills of Nebraska at like 300 yards, just dumped him. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Everybody I knew growing up had some version of this. It might not necessarily be a Ruger, but it was pretty dang similar yeah, to it. I had the exact version of that, but in 287 Roberts. Matt, you need to get you one. 
Yeah, I got a couple of young kids that uh, that love to hunt, so a twenty five out six probably is on the docket. Hey, so. there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good problem to have. Probably get two. To yeah. be honest with you, <laughs> Hornady Security Mobilist Safes. Discover the ultimate solution for safeguarding your valuable equipment with Hornady Security Mobilist Safes. Offering an innovative modular design, Mobilist Safes can be easily transported and assembled piece by piece in any room. Featuring a full square lock interior organizing system that maximizes storage space with countless storage configurations. Elevate your security with Mobilist Safes from Hornady Security. Growing up for me, Again, I shot a 257 Roberts because my dad had the same quarter inch hole in his heart. He liked the 257 just because it was, you know, not everybody, everybody had a 243. Everybody mm-hmm. had a 243. So the 25 was just, you know, a little more romantic, a little more nostalgic. And so uh, I shot a 257 Roberts and dad has a rifle that's actually older than me, um, a beautiful Remington 725-06. The stock, I don't know, well, I know how he did it. He did never shoot the gun, and when he did, he put it into a different stock. But uh, extremely high gloss, like the 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 stock looks wet. Like you're gonna touch it, and your hands are gonna have water on them. It's just gorgeous, dark walnut, um, and it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous rifle. He'll throw it into a you know synthetic stock and yeah. shoot shoot the snot out of it, and it shoots really, really well. And it's I think it's a 1984, and man, Remington in 1984, they was making a Really smooth action, yeah. Because uh, that is just a beautiful gun, and again, you can just grab some forty three fifty. You don't even have to think about it. IMR forty three fifty, which is what my dad uses. I actually was just uh, over Christmas down in the basement in his reloading room. He still got an old metal can of Dupont branded IMR forty three fifty that he doesn't load out of, but kept it around, which is the powder he used for his twenty five out six that still, he still, still has. Still there for nostalgia. Yep. yep. And so. you want to talk about versatility? 117 grain bullet should he ever go antelope or deer hunting with it uh but primarily that rifle shoots 75 grain v maxes uh because that thing spits them out with 4350 i mean it is cruising uh yeah right around 3600 feet per second yeah. which is remarkable wow yeah yep. taking a few coyotes with that so that was you know growing up we always had that the 25 out six around or the 257 roberts and it's just one of those things you, you could put anybody on it it's not super invasive to shoot like it's gonna you know you have to prep somebody about the recoil it's fast it's flat it's accurate zero that thing you know the iconic max point blank range a couple inches high at 100 hold hair out to 350 and send it yeah absolutely and i mean we always zeroed our rifles at 200 i don't know why we chose to do that that's just how dad always did it so that's what we did and with that thing i mean i was on hair to 400 with it yeah. on deer um saw a lot of coyote shot running at 600 with it out of my dad's hands but <laughs> yeah very capable cartridge and man we owe a lot we've said it a few times now we owe so much to those wildcatters of those early days you know i'm pretty partial to uh ned roberts but uh townsend wayland uh charles newton there i mean there's just so many of them that nightner in P. this o. case ackley, yeah. P. O. ackley yep. just love to it now you want to really get into the the cool guy club, twenty five out six improved. You don't even have to go with a full forty degree improved like PO Ackley improved. A thirty degree improved twenty five out six with one of our new one thirty fours or those one tens. Yeah. That thing looks like the Apollo space shuttle. I mean, it is ridiculous with that shoulder angle and it's super long. Um, but th- that's again get back into those wildcatting things. But 
Yeah, and even even in the competitive world for PRS and NRL and some some of those disciplines, the twenty five cal stuff, I think, is starting to gain some traction. It is, yeah. You know, the guys are that was a heavily dominated by six millimeter, and I think you know the more, ter, you know, more places you shoot where there's a lot of wind, you just need something that's got a little bit more weight to it to 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 play with that wind yeah. or play in that wind. And so, NRL Hunter, I believe they opened it to twenty five caliber. Uh, yeah. if you're, if there's factory hunting ammo available, you can shoot a 25 out six in an NRL hunter and that can, that'll just make you a better hunter competing mm-hmm. in the NRL hunter. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, competition world, take your hunting rifle out there and it'll make you a better hunter. You'll hit what you're aiming at more often. And, uh, yeah, all hail to the 25 caliber. I Thank feel you. like, uh, like you'd mentioned, Matt, the 25 cal is going to see a resurgence here and, uh, 25 out six was really the. I don't want to call it the founder of the feast because you have the twenty five thirty five, you know, turn of the before the turn of the century, but not long after the twenty five lot six was right there at that at that feast table when yeah. it was founded. So, yeah, absolutely. And to hit a point on that NRL hunter match, there's a lot of guys I've talked to that are doing some wildcatting and they're taking like PRC cases or Creedmoor cases and they're running super long bullets that they can find and cranking them out there and they say it's phenomenal for NRL. Yeah, they just love it. Yep, you get flat trajectory, you get reduction in recoil compared to some of the 6.5 offerings yeah. a little bit more recoil than the six millimeter offerings but you're hitting with a little bit more authority probably a little bit better in the wind and almost just as flat so yep. kind of a a good middle ground there so in regard to 25-06 anything else that you guys want to mention about uh another iconic cartridge uh of the golden west and out here on the prairie i think everyone needs one <laughs> you're <laughs> probably right i think just every household needs a 25-06 yeah you know uh probably gonna have to look and see about ordering one but yeah i've got some young kids coming up that love to hunt so maybe a 25 cows in store but it's again i you know it's another one of those great cartridges i I don't have a lot of experience with it but there i don't have a lot of bad experience with it either yeah so it's well it's just one of those that's been around and will continue to be around yeah. and whether you're a hand loader already's got bullets and load data support 25 hot six uh, until you're blue in the face there. And then as factory ammo goes, 90 grains all the way up to 117 grains. So we got you covered there as well. Now, shifting into more about Mitch Rother. Mitch, every guest on our podcast, we have to ask if you had to pick one cartridge and one bullet for the rest of your life. Unlimited ammo, unlimited guns. You could have 20 guns chambered in this, but it's got to be the same cartridge and the same bullet for all of your shooting and hunting. What cartridge are you thinking? Mitch Rother would pick. That's tough. Um, I would say the 25-06, but I, I have dreams of one day I might make it over to Africa and do some some larger game hunting than what I think the 25-06 is rated for. Um, I would honestly probably go with the 7PRC with the 160 CX. That's just, it's a do-all. Yeah. Everybody I've talked to that's been running it has had no issues on anything from Plains Game in Africa to moose to bear to deer yeah. to elk. So. That'd probably be the easy button. A little expensive if you're shooting prairie dogs, though. Yeah. I just I uh, hosted a prairie dog event in uh, June this year, uh, last week in May, rather, and uh, outdoor rider event, so we get all of our new stuff. Well, we had a Remington 700 long range. Uh, we threaded it here at the shop for a suppressor, big old night force on there, and he connected Adam Trawick, outdoor rider for sports field, uh, or sporting classics, rather, excuse me, uh, he connected at 1140. Yeah, that's yeah. a, that was a poke and a half, that but it's a poke. 
took him six shots, so really not as expensive as you might think. Yeah. Um, you know, cause normally people are tossing out 20, oh, yeah. 30, yeah. 40 rounds, but we shot uh, prairie dogs this summer and we had a seven up there and we had obviously a six, five and a six arc and a, even had a six GT up there, which that was my match gun I had just gotten. So I wanted to see how far I could shoot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we shot a lot of prairie dogs, the six, five Creedmoor, seven PRC out at, you know, six, seven, nothing quite as far as you guys were shooting, but getting after it yeah we had a very cooperative little town there's probably about four mounds and about the size of this table and they were pretty happy just hanging out and they let mm. us put five rounds into their bubble before the one of them took the impact <laughs> it was shooting 175 ldx's no less oh wow but the 160 cx a great option like you said from anything on the african plains to anything on the north american continent and everything in between um You've got a 160-grain bullet with the same external shape as our long-range match bullets, but with that monolithic hard-hitting performance, plus awesome cartridge design, um, really efficient design, and uh, really a good balance point. So I have to commend you on your choice. Other notable people on the podcast may have also chosen the 7PRC. Yeah, and I think my thing with that 160 is I've shot long distance. I shoot in PRS every now and then. Um but when I'm hunting, you know, I like being as close as I possibly can. That's, That's why, the goal. That's the why game, archery huh? hunt too, you know, get intimate with the game. And even with that 160, I mean, your effective range is like 700 if you're running at 3,000 feet yeah. per second. So it doesn't limit you any. No. That's no. a good, solid choice. Matt, remind the listeners, what did you select for your once-in-a-lifetime? Got to pick it. You know what? I don't. I, it might have been a Creedmoor with the LDXs, but... That might have even been before the seven PRC was a thing. So Ooh. I mean, I'm the more I I'm around it, and the more I use that gun and stuff like that, that cartridge, uh, I'm probably gonna go seven PRC. But I'm gonna lean towards the LDXs. That's where I want. don't know if I'll ever go to Africa, but it's still even then at Africa in Africa that would be a great bullet yep. for playing games. So. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with so. that 175 at all. Yeah, yeah, ELDX for the win. And the 110 out of the 25, also great for the Still win. Still a great bullet, yeah. Awesome, guys. Well, I have nothing else on the 25 out 6 I've asked all my questions. Anything you want to leave the listener with? No, we pretty much covered yeah. it all. I don't got anything else from, from my end. Awesome, so. guys. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, glad I could uh, be a part of it. So. Guys, hopefully you enjoyed this discussion on the 25 out 6 and getting to know new guest on the show, Mitch Rother. Like I mentioned at the beginning, we hope you guys had a great Christmas. And hopefully you're looking forward to an awesome 2024. We'll catch you in the next year uh, with some new episodes. We're excited about the podcast going into 2024. It's almost trade show season. So we'll be at all of the trade shows, Dallas Safari Club, SHOT Show, Safari Club International. If you're at the show, please swing in, stop by, meet us there. We'd love to talk to you, hear your stories, hear about what you're shooting, hear how you're using Hornady products. We hope you enjoyed this. We'll catch you on the next one.